Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Jota, Dundalk and Cavan. Order your new 221 Renault today from our extensive Renault range. Guaranteed delivery and low-rate APR finance. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Welcome to the show this absolutely gorgeous Wednesday afternoon. Wouldn't it do your heart good, the weather? I know I said it again yesterday, but I'll say it every day. We should enjoy the beautiful sunshine and lovely dry weather we're having at the moment. Long may it continue. It looks like it's continuing right into the weekend and beyond. Isn't it just great to be able to get out and enjoy it? And of course, uh, summertime beginning this weekend as well. So we'll have the extra hour next week of daylight, which is wonderful indeed. Lots of chat and uh, lovely guests coming up over the next couple of hours and of course my soundtrack from The Commitments. I have a great song for you there today as well. But I begin today with a man I have the most admiration for from the first time I ever met him when he worked up in this neck of the woods in Drogheda. He's moved on subsequently but he is a specialist in end of life grief and loss and I'm so pleased to say hello and welcome him back to Late Lunch. Brian Nolan how are you? I'm very well, Jerry. Great to talk to you. And you're right, it's such a beautiful day. Great to be alive. Isn't it? And that is the feeling, Brian. It is great to be alive. And on the theme of life, life begins and we're tiny and we travel through life. And as you know, you specialise at the other end as people age. And Brian, I'll tell my listeners, uh, I keep a good eye on you. And uh, in recent weeks, I saw you post something, Brian, that even for you, uh, really struck a chord with me and subsequently what a reaction you got when you posted the story. Will you tell our listeners about your friend? She's 94. Yeah, I have a 94-year-old friend. friend. Now, this is a lady, she's a single lady, she's never married, obviously. Um, she, Her going back to the very start, she was fostered out as a young child and the lady who became her foster mother uh, she ended up living with her for all of her life. And as her foster mother became old and infirm, she cared for her and looked after her exceptionally well. And this friend of mine, she, very sociable lady, always kept herself very neat and tidy, very glamorous. She'd never be seen outside the door without her hair done and stuff like that. So she really looked after herself. I mean, recently, she had a fall. She's always been very independent. Recently, she had a fall and ended up in hospital. And of course, with COVID now, you see, there's no visiting. So because she has no immediate family, she has a next of kin who is a person who was also 
part of that fostering um, regime that happened way, way back. And uh, so he's like her brother in a way and has been very good to her. So he's technically the only one who can get in and he can't get in every day. It's really only on request. So anyway, we tried to get in there a couple of weeks ago to see her and had to beg and blag our way through and eventually got the receptionist to ring up to the ward and eventually the ward manager said, Jay, come up for five minutes. Anyway, when we went up, um, the poor woman was like in a heap in the bed, like buried down in the bed is the way I describe it. And her mouth was all dry and cracked. The water was there all right. It was on the locker, but it was out of her reach, like she couldn't get to it. And she had this Fortisip drink, which is one of these fortified drinks that they give older people mm. full of vitamins and stuff. And that was there, but untouched. And even if she if she wanted it, she couldn't have reached it anyway. And anyway, we tried to tidy her up in the bed and fix her up. And, you know, we were talking to the staff there and saying, like, this is a terrible condition for this woman to be in. And she, because of the dehydration stuff, she'd also got a bit confused, which she is not normally. And even at the moment, she's as clear as a bell. Um, that the, the only answer we got was we're very busy. And I suppose for me, this little person is one of life's gentle people. She would never shout or never demand anything. And I said this to the nurse, I said, this person isn't going to ring the bell. She's not going to shout. She's not going to give out. You have to notice and watch when she's in trouble. You know, and it was, well, like we've a lot of patients to look after and we're very short-staffed and what can we do, basically? So anyway, I tried to fix her up in the bed as best I could. Like I'm working in healthcare all of my life. I've always been passionate about patient care and in the last 12 years of my working life as you said there I worked I worked up in Drada for the first five years trying to introduce the Hospice Friendly Hospitals program mm. which was all about dignity respect and advocacy and, at, uh, and autonomy for the patient like getting staff to constantly keep the person they're looking after in the foremost of their minds and the first question they should always ask themselves is this how I would like my mother or my father to be cared for is this the standard of care that I would want for myself? And if there's a question mark there, well, then they need to, to do something about it. Like this story goes on because since we left, since we left that night, um, I've been on to her next of kin and he went in two days later and he said she hadn't been washed in the two days. And uh, when he said to the attendant who was on at the time, she hasn't been washed for two days. You know, this would really affect her mindset because she's very particular about herself mm -hmm. and how she dresses and stuff like that. And she'd hate to see herself looking like this. And the answer again was, we're too busy. And the advocate or the next of kin guy said to her, said to him, this isn't good enough. You know, I need to talk to the manager about this. Okay, well, we'll wash her now. So what happened next was he went off and got another health care assistant, another man. And the two men went in and washed the lady in the bed, okay, gave her a bed bath. Yeah. And her next of kin said to me, I felt so sad for her. He said, this woman never even had a relationship with a man throughout her life. And now at the end of her life, she's been given a bed bath by two men. Now, I'm sure everything was above board and everything was fine. But is that what she would want for herself? Is that how she would have envisaged her end of life care? You know, and we're we're just sort of devastated over it's not even the lack of care, it's the lack of awareness. Nobody seems to notice 
that older people are in trouble in hospital, that they're not able to ask for stuff. They come from that generation who would have always said, doctor knows best. You know, you don't question yes. the people in charge. You know, the, the way older people yes. were always taught, yes. don't put your head, head above the, the, the parapet or whatever. You know, don't be above your station. You know, these people know what's right for you. And the sense of if you go into hospital, that's where you're going to receive the best care. You're going to be safe. But Brian, from what you have just described, it's horrendous. It's horrendous. And the the horrendous part of it is that they don't seem to want to allow any visitors into the hospitals whatsoever, which is crazy. I'm not advocating a free-for-all. We're back in the middle of COVID again. You can't have that. But we're dealing with a fully vaccinated population who most of us are boosted as well. People wouldn't mind if they were the, the designated family member or visitor taking an antigen test before they went in, wearing masks, washing their hands, being careful. But they could be there to advocate for the patient. They could be there to even organise the locker in such a way that the person could reach the stuff. You know, like I ended up in hospital for five weeks myself during the summer and I broke my pelvis, ruptured my bladder, um, broken coccyx, loads of broken ribs. So I basically was immobile in the bed. But I was unable to even reach my locker to get stuff that I wanted off it. You know, I was constantly having to ask for help. So I was just thinking if somebody, a family member or a friend even, was allowed to sit there, it would take the burden away from the healthcare assistant and the nurse. They'd be able to do those little jobs, you know, to help to feed the person, make sure they got a drink, that their water was filled, um, that they could even wash their hands and their face for them. Like it's, I think we've just lost, lost this ability to deliver the care that we were so brilliant at. Like I would have always said in Ireland, hospitals are impossible to get into, but when you get in there, the standard of care is excellent. I would have always believed that. I'm really questioning now the standard of care that we're offering to people at all sorts of levels. The amount of people who've contacted me since I put up that post has been amazing. You know, and the stories that they've told me about what happened to their relatives. A very good friend of mine who I've great respect for, and I know this is secondhand now, but this is a professional man who had a heart attack, got over the initial stage of the heart attack and was waiting transfer to somewhere else. So they put him into a mixed ward. And in the ward, there were a lot of older people. And during the night, uh, an older man soiled the bed. And the staff came in and they turned on the man and said, oh, for God's sake, you're after destroying the sheets. Look at the state of this. You know, the use of that shaming language would never have happened if there was a relative sitting there. No. No, and that is abhorrent to hear those words and that those words were spoken. But coming back to your your 94-year-old lady friend, um, this is an acute hospital. We don't have to name it. It's an acute hospital. You got the impression, is this fair to say when you, that there was adequate staff, even though they said to you, oh, we're busy and we're under pressure. You felt there was enough people. She shouldn't have been in the state she was in. There seemed to be plenty of people around when I was there and her next of kin has been telling me the same. They've since lost her teeth and she rang him the other morning because she's fully complimented, but she rang him the other morning and she said um, she was crying because the healthcare assistant was giving out to her because she wasn't eating her meal quickly enough. And her mouth is full of blisters now. You know, it's just, it's just like one disaster after another. And I think literally if somebody was sitting beside her that there would be somebody there to help her, you know, and even comfort her, mm. just even to sit with her and hold her hand. 
This is shocking, Brian. And, and I know people listening to us today are, are reviled by what they hear. And if anybody's affected by anything we're saying or you have a story similar, let us know. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. That's 086-1800-658 or 041-983-2000 if you want to call in. Brian... <laughs> What, what what's going to happen here with that lady? Will she get out? What, what, you know, what's the future hold for her? Well, this is part of the problem as well. I mean, quiet people just seem to disappear in the system, you know. So I've been trying to support her next of kin to organise a meeting with the social worker, with the senior nurse and with the doctor. And what I asked him to ask them was, the meeting is going to take place tomorrow. Um, and he asked for the meeting last week. So there's a whole week gone by and I asked him, his, his opening line is, what's the plan for her? What's your plan? You know, because there doesn't seem to be a plan. Because people come, we'll say on Thursday and they might initiate something and then they leave. And then they don't come back till Monday. But in the meantime, lots of other issues have arisen. So they seem to be constantly firefighting. So if somebody isn't advocating for themselves or shouting loudly or constantly ringing the bell. They don't seem to be getting the attention or the notice. So people get forgotten in the system, which is hard to believe, but that seems to me to be what's happening. So again, another reason to open up the hospital and have the visitors in. You know, if if nothing else, this is a kindness. I mean, we just listened to the Remembrance Sunday there for all the people who died during COVID. Mm. And part of the, I don't know if you're listening to the radio, but part of the, the, the ceremony was people telling stories. You know, of not being able to sit with their loved ones, not being able to comfort them, not being able to see them, not being able to hold their hand, not to be able to say simple things like at the end of life, like, I'm sorry, I love you, thank you, goodbye. You know, um, the basic sort of things that we'd want for ourselves as we're leaving this world, that you'd have somebody there that you love to hold your hand, or at least to tell you that you're safe. And um, so I think my, the reason for me putting that online, and I would never really do stuff like this, mm. and I purposely didn't name the, the organisation or the person involved because I didn't want to, because I think this is across the board at the moment. I do think we need to open up the hospitals. We need to allow at least one family member or friend to be the visitor and the advocate that can come and sit. If the hospital are saying they haven't the staff to provide this care and they're not able to look after the people the way they should, well, then let the family come in and sit there. And Brian, I have have to say, coming from you, with your years of experience and being someone who's in the system. You are in there. You are part of this. You've been working for years uh, uh, within the health service here. It is even more powerful, I have to say it. And I followed the thread when you put it up. I'm sure you were amazed yourself at what, you know, what has come out of the woodwork here. This Mm -hmm. is, I think it's a fair, fair point you make. This is not an isolated incident. Yeah. And it's not an isolated incident, and it's it's like the full the full breadth of the country. If you read those responses to mm. to to that post, you know. But like there was wonderful programs before COVID. You know, there was like Deirdre Lang, who's the clinical lead for the service of older people. Um, she had a wonderful program called What Matters to You, and it was all about the patient and person centred care. Like. I really believed we were changing things. We were moving things forward. We were getting a consciousness in healthcare staff's mind that 
this is a human being. It's not an illness. Like I'm more, you know, that we got them thinking this person is more than their dementia. They're more than their broken leg. They're more than their cancer. They're the whole human being that we need to look after. Somebody who's got physical needs, of course, but they also have emotional, psychological, spiritual, you know, and other needs. And it's when we try and reach out and look after all these needs, then we give person-centred care, whole person care. That's when a person's needs are met. But I overheard it myself when I was a patient in the hospital during the summer. I overheard the staff on the corridor outside the door one afternoon saying, isn't it great without the visitors? You can get your job done without any hassle. So my problem with this is I think there's a concerted drive within the health service to keep the visitors out because it it suits the service not to have visitors around. Isn't that awful to contemplate, to be honest with you? And you make the point so well. It would take the burden off if somebody were allowed in. And we are all trebly vaccinated and boosted and everything. And uh, the test can be taken beforehand. Brian, I want to ask you this because time will beat us just in. uh, I want to get this in before we go. Is it an ageist thing? Um, I don't think so. Because I'm like I'm only in my early 60s now. And I was a patient in, in the hospital during the summer. I ended up being an advocate for the older people in the ward. But I was at the risk, like I myself didn't get the care that I would have expected, considering I was totally immobile. Like I had an accident on Friday morning at 11 o'clock. I ended up in a hospital, in an acute hospital in the ward. On the So that's Friday morning. On Saturday evening at about 7 or 8 o'clock, I had to ask for somebody to give me a basin of water so I could wash my hands. Nobody, I hadn't had a washer, I hadn't had a turn, or nobody, I'd been fed and given medication, but I hadn't actually gotten the basic stuff that I would have thought were just basic at the time. And um, I was terrified, I was in one of these ICU beds because I was immobile, and the base of my back became very hot and sweaty, and I was afraid of my life I was going to get a bed sore. So I called, and it was the nurse, not the healthcare assistant, and I said to the nurse, I'm terrified I'm going to get a bed sore. Is there anything that can be done? And uh, they said, oh, physio will be in on Monday. They'll give you exercises for that. And off they went. You know, and then there was an older lady in the corner who was in dreadful pain all day and uh, kept calling and calling. Her consultant came in that evening, a lovely woman, and the consultant said to her, how are you? I'm in terrible pain. You shouldn't be in pain because I've written you up for plenty of stuff and you can have it whenever you want it. Just ask. And she said, I've been asking all day. And she, the, the doctor said, oh, you couldn't have been. Don't be silly because it's been written up for you. You're entitled to it. And I had to, I had to shout over and say, I'm sorry for butting in, but that lady is actually telling the truth. She has been asking and saying that she's been in pain all day and nothing's been done. Oh, my word. Brian, this you know, is... Uh, so, it pains you know, I'm just sort of saying mm, it's, mm, it's... Horrendous. Yeah. Horrendous. COVID has been sort of an awful thing. We've all lost lots of things. Yes. And I think one of the biggest losses in hospital at the moment is for older people in particular and people who are quiet and won't be the ones who'll be jumping up and down ringing the bells, they just disappear between the cracks. And people who are particularly immobilised in bed that can't physically reach over to the locker or even the food at the end of their bed, you know, that 
I think they're in big trouble, Brian, and I we all hear yeah. what you're saying. Brian, I have to leave it there today. I'll be back to you. Thank you for advocating and keep advocating. And we need to open the hospitals. Yes. Jerry. Absolutely. I, I could say, I, we need to get the visitors in. That's the bottom that line. That is the bottom you know? line. It is indeed. otherwise all these stories are dreadful in their own way. But we it's a call to action really. We yeah. have to get somebody. We can throw our hands up in the air, but we need to get the hospitals open. Brian, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Take care, yourself, Brian. Bye bye, bye bye. That's Brian Nolan there. Shocking, isn't it? Absolutely shocking. Thank you for your comments. Keep them coming to me. Shocking, isn't it? It's shocking. It's absolutely unacceptable what we've just heard from Brian Nolan. My husband was in hospital five weeks, dying with cancer. I asked to see him several times. No visitor. One time I rang, I was told he's fine. He's having tea with his son so somebody had a visitor when we were allowed he was unconscious when we were allowed to see him he died alone it's heartbreaking Brian Nolan is not alone uh, in his experiences within the health care system in this country and uh, talking to us earlier on there about his 94 year old friend who honest to God when you listen to what he had to say It'd just make you despair, wouldn't it? Lots of reaction. I'll be back to your comments in a wee while on the show. Keep them coming to me. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. Now, my next guest on the show, well, you see, I've spoken to her in the past and she's a remarkable lady because she's come through an awful lot in her lifetime, hit with the crash of the Celtic Tiger. Then uh, the pandemic arrives when she's flying once more and she's probably thinking... What the hell is this all about? Anyway, Liz O'Kane hasn't been idle because she's gone back to Trinity College and qualified with a brand new qualification in creative thinking, innovation and entrepreneurship. You do know her well. Ireland's original house hunter. You remember House Hunters and House Hunters in the Sun and RTE on television, on Virgin TV, Ireland AM, writing for the Business Post and recently presenting Buyer's Boot Camp on Virgin Media. Liz O'Kane, hello. Creepers, creepers. I tell you what, I, I feel on top of the world after that intro. And you, God. and you should be. My God, why oh. you shouldn't? And, and I forgot to say, you just recently uh, launched your new website, lizokane.ie, and we're going to talk about I that did. in a few moments. I did. Anyway. And I would li- I'd just like to say with thanks to government funding due to COVID-19. <laughs> yes, because... Yes. Listen, you uh, look, you, you sent me an article earlier today and, and it's very yeah. interesting because, you see, in February 2020, just on the cusp of the pandemic, you wrote a very interesting piece about you and your life and where you were, not knowing probably the world was going to shut for the next couple of years, but you've revisited it recently, you know, to say, this is what I wrote then, yeah. here I am now. And by God, yeah. you haven't been idle. No, I haven't been idle. And I have to say the the, the, the lack of idleness was not planned, Jerry. Mm. So, look, it all sort of fell into my lap. Um, in in uh, just pre-February 2020, before, before, you know, there was all these musings about, you know, this this COVID alert, you know, in China, et cetera, et cetera. And I suppose I, like everybody else, sat back on the couch and sort of said, sure, that'll be gone in two weeks, maybe two months, sure, we'll be grand. Little did we know. But uh, a friend of mine had embarked the year previously on this um, level nine course in, in Trinity. And it's to do, it's part of Tangent, which is uh, Trinity's thinking and ideas portal. Mm. 
and it was called Creative Thinking, Innovation and Entrepreneurship. And I was very much on the fence as to, somebody said to me, you know, you'd really love that. It's kind of right up your alley. And I kind of went, is it right up my alley? I'm really not sure. Asher, you know what, I'll apply. And really half-heartedly applied, uh, you know, to do this very full-on intensive course, which of course I had absolutely no idea what I was getting myself involved in. And sort of got accepted in in towards the end of February 2020. And the next thing is we're all being locked down. And along comes th- this course started in, uh, gosh, no, it finished in May. When did it start? Well, I'm a bit confused about when it started now. No. It was either May, sorry, it was May, right yes. through to the following March or April, I beg your pardon. Yeah. So we started in May. And I said, you know what? We're all locked up. Just do it. Just go for it. Can I say it was probably... One of the proudest things I've ever done in my life to have achieved and actually got to the end game, because not everybody got to the end game, but also one of the most excruciating, mind blowing roller coaster rides of my life <laughs> <laughs> I, that is saying a lot for Liz O'Kane I have to say but here's oh. the thing you you weren't in college as you say everybody was in their own environment you zoomed and you yeah. connected as we are today but here's the yeah. thing you said to me that uh, you, you, you uh, doubts for a couple of reasons because you were trying to get business you know up and running again studies uh, running in parallel could you do both and also I don't mean to say this but you know the years roll on a little Liz like myself you know, and you think uh, we're not rocking out of bed with oodles <laughs> of energy now, Jerry, are we? <laughs> Jesus, you know what I'm getting at. Yeah. But but uh, surely there were you were there, and 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 uh, many of your ilk as well. But you mentioned whiz kids to me. Tell me about that. People who youngsters who are leaping out of their skins. Yeah, completely. So I found myself in this absolutely um, very much what I would envision to be a college environment, except mm. you're on the Zoom machine, right? And lots of very young, the really bright young people who've, who've already graduated from college with wonderful degrees in psychology and, you know, digital marketing and, and you know, degrees that, that I don't even, oh, many, many ologies, shall we say. <laughs> Loads of ologies. And super, super bright and really wanting to get on in the world. And then there was a couple of few elder lemons like myself who were probably more seasoned in life in terms of married, with children, potentially separated, having had businesses, going down the second and third, possibly third phase in, in business, maybe having lost businesses. And I found it really, really fascinating, the thought processes between the young ones who are just so full of energy. And I'd be going, oh, God, love you. You have no idea what's ahead of you now. You have no idea. And these super energetic, bright kids who you would be who would be put in a group with somebody like me um, you know, to discuss lots of, of varying modules and modules, for example, like elevator pitches, communications, negotiations, sales strategies, marketing and branding and not having the first idea about that. Right. Which for me, I discovered was something, you know, that I, it affirmed for me that, that this was where my strengths lay, yeah. you know, completely. And I was good at mentoring and advising in those areas. And in those areas, I was quite comfortable. And then it would come to areas like profit margins and tech and finance and economics. And all I wanted to do was get under the table and <laughs> die because I felt 
so much, so, you know, in this area of very defined business uh, that I was absolutely an imposter. I had imposter syndrome from the get go. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be here. And in fact, I nearly ducked out of, of the course three months in. I just said, this is all too much. It's overwhelming. I met one particular lady who was of a similar age group to myself. And shall we say that uh, I'm in my 50s, having a great 50s. And I have to say it's the best part of my life. Um, because you don't care anymore. <laughs> you don't care what anybody thinks or says. You just, yes. you know, you have your views. You've absolutely evolved it to become your yourself. And this lady said to me, you know, she said, like, Liz, you've got so much experience and you bring so much to the table. You know, I don't understand why you're feeling so vulnerable. And she was a hugely experienced businesswoman. And she said, if you duck out of this, she said, I'll break your legs. So I said, OK, I better stay. <laughs> you you know? see, that's the ology I was thinking of. Experienceology yeah. that you brought to the party. And, you know, in a classroom environment like that, because I've been part of myself, it's funny. The synergies uh, come together. You draw from the younger crew and the younger crew draw from you. Did you find that? Absolutely. 100 percent. I, I, I found that and I absolutely loved it. And, um, you know, there was there was three, three terms on the course, uh, three modules that had to be completed and everybody within the group had their strengths. And interestingly, Jerry, that piece that I sent you early earlier today um, was a piece that I wrote two years ago. Yeah just pre-COVID, and I had sort of sent it to you earlier just to give you an idea about where I was just in terms of business and life, et cetera, now, right? And I had I had studied public relations 25 years previous to this, 25 years ago, and I actually did that course because I wanted a third-level um, something. Yeah. And I said, oh, that'll be an idea. Okay, I'll do that. That sounds easy. Easy, my arse, Right. <laughs> And did two years at night to complete that. But what came out of that was that I really discovered I was I wasn't a bad writer. Quite liked the storytelling. Quite liked the writing. And when it came then to conducting these modules within my group, um, we had to submit. You know, you had to submit your thesis and uh, uh, you know and your and your module reportage at the at the end. And, and by the way, it was intense, yeah. like very intense. But I did not find the writing part difficult. Yes. If everybody else was able to gather, do all the research and gather the information, I sort of discovered that I was actually quite good at putting it all together and delivering it. And we passed. Fantastic. And congratulations to you. And well done. It's a wonderful qualification. And from Trinity too, which has to be said, which is a lovely Uh, uh, bonus. Kind of nice, isn't it? Yeah, listen. Kind of nice. Listen, it it is the university, you have to say. I want to read a line for the listeners from uh, that article you wrote in February 2020. Just one line from it. And I've been through it a few times. But I want to read this because this really sums you up. You say... Uh, I find myself with two recessions behind me, one marriage, one business, two dependent adult children and a serious knock to my confidence together with a newfound vulnerability. You know, I've met you a number of times and that's one thing I'd say about you, that you oozed uh, self-belief and confidence. But by God, when you write those words, you were there, you were in that vulnerable space from which you've emerged. Well, thank you very much. It's it's, it's really very kind. Um, I I still do feel vulnerable. Uh, I I would say almost almost on a daily basis, and mm. in terms of of questioning, 
you know, what I'm doing, yes. uh, questioning my business. Am I working hard enough? Am I doing it right? You know, and, and ultimately, I suppose the, you know, the underlying answer is, yeah, I'm doing OK. Mm. But, um, you know, I, I, I think if we all hold up our hands, it's all very it's all very fine and well being, you know, coming across as super duper confident. I think there's much more vulnerability out there now than we ever realize. And yeah. particularly um, particularly having been through this pandemic and, and it's not gone. Um, I was listening to Paul Reid on the radio this morning and, you know, it's back on with the masks as far as I'm concerned, um, based mm. on his uh, re- reportage this morning. Yes. And, um, you know, I know a lot of young people who've suffered greatly um, during COVID, Um you know, who found it a real struggle being at home and not being able to socialize. Yeah. And um, you know, I would say I'm still very vulnerable in certain in certain areas yeah, of my life. That's you uh, know, that's so honest of you to say that. Liz, just to clarify, you are not an estate agent. You are a buyer's agent, negotiator, property consultant. You source properties for people. Is that anybody, a first time buyer, somebody looking for a place in a particular area? A- anything goes. Yeah. So, so Jerry, I, I actually, what I would say is that I am an estate agent by profession, but I just I choose not to sell okay. anything. So okay. there's no for sale signs okay. in the boot of my car. Yeah, okay. I'm not plonking signs in gardens at all. So I have always exclusively acted for the part for the purchaser. Right, that's it's what I do exclusively. So. Uh, thankfully, I'm lucky right now. Uh, the market is the market is fractious, but very buoyant, I would say. And um, my clients are anybody from first time buyers um, right through to the Irish who live abroad, who are trying to get a foothold into the Irish market at home. And also um, Americans returning quite a lot of people from North America returning now who will they're very used to having a buyer's agent. Buyer's agents are very commonplace in in the states and North America, and actually in the UK and Australia and New Zealand, you'd get a buyer's agent in every estate agent's office. Um, it just never really happened here, and it was it was something that I um, sort of liked the idea of. I actually stole it from location, location, location on Channel Four, mm. and they're gone twenty years. I didn't quite make the twenty years because I lost a business in the last recession, and then I said, "Listen, I'm good at this. I know what I'm doing." I've forged good relationships over the years and let's go again. And why not? So here because I go again. play to your strengths and with your new qualification under your belt as well and a whole new raft of contacts, etc. It makes yeah. sense. But I, I'll ask you this. You've been knocked back, not once, but twice and in many aspects of life. You, you mentioned your vulnerability. What would you say to people today, maybe who are down a bit and have had received a knock and are trying to deal with this? How do you, what's the secret to get going and getting up off your backside again and into the game? Well, listen, you and I both know this too will pass, right? Yeah. Everything passes. I mean, uh, you know, I don't think everybody, I don't think everybody has it fantastic for their whole entire journey. Yeah. They really and truly don't. Uh, a few bob helps, but at the end of the Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Today, if you don't have great mental health, mental health, it doesn't matter how much money you have, or you know, if 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 you don't have you know great relationships in your life, or if you don't have good advisors in your life, it doesn't really matter. I mean, m- money can't buy you everything. It's it, and funny, it's it's the same in in terms of purchasing property in a funny way. People often look for perfection, and it doesn't matter how much money you have. Nothing is perfect. You'll never buy the perfect home or build the perfect home. There'll always be something. There'll be the orientation or the site will be too small or too big. There'll be something that's not quite right. But look, what I would, you know, for me, I suppose I'm 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 lucky. I have great health. I'm, I, I am a resilient person. I don't tend to get down. And if I do get down, it passes very quickly. Yeah. So it's this too will pass. Focus on the future. The world is in a funny place right now, and that will bring anxiety to a lot of people that they might not even talk about. And, uh, you know, thank God we're not in Ukraine. It's 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 at times like this that you can honestly be thankful for being the little island off the west coast of Europe so and true. say, you know, say we're in a nice, safe spot for now. We're not in a bad position. And, you know, the weather's good, yeah. you know. <laughs> this too will pass if if you're feeling yes. you know if you're yeah. feeling unsure about business and also again you know what I also learned about that that great course if anybody wants to have have a um, do some research on it and um, I did creative thinking innovation and entrepreneurship there's also just creative thinking and entrepreneur entrepreneurship and the great thing about doing a course like that is you meet like minded people. You know, you meet people, you're all there for the same reason. You're all there to network and forge new relationships and get help with ideas and, you know, and and ask advice from people. And it's phenomenal, the information that, you know, one can come up with. Some people are absolutely, um, you know, they're they're in um, they're, they're starting businesses, they're in startups. And some people are very well established and it's like it's free information. Um, but. You know, this this to always focus, always focus on what's what's the next thing. Yes. What's ahead. Yeah, and this yeah. too will pass. Looking this forward. This too will pass. If you're worried yeah. about kids, this too will pass. They'll be OK. You know, yeah. if you're having marriage difficulties, I'm tr- I promise you, I swear to God, if somebody said to me five years ago, you'll be out the other side of this and all will be well. I would have said, yeah, having a laugh. But it is well. And you know? that's great, great I, advice all around there. Just to come back to what you do before we finish up. Um, yeah. 
you know, uh, being an agent, you do the the footwork, so to speak. You go and you deal with the with the uh, estate agents, and you I look do. and and you go back to your clients, and you uh, yeah. put on the table what you feel may suit them, and they look, and you do all that. One quick question: Do you ever declare your hand money wise to the estate agent what your client's budget is, or is that a bad idea? No, the estate agent will not know who my client is. Yeah. Or what their budget is. Okay. What the estate agent does know immediately, the sales agent that is, they know that when they're dealing with Liz O'Kane or any other buyer's agent, that I have already been retained and therefore they have a very solid client with intent. Yes. So they are very willing to have a good, strong conversation with me about getting a property off the market. Yes. That doesn't mean that you're jumping the bidding process in case anybody thinks otherwise. That mm. does not mean that, you know, you are you are excluded or you're doing something, you, you know, you're, you're jumping ahead of the posse. You're not. Yes. But what a client is showing is that they have hired somebody in exactly the same way as a vendor has hired a sales agent to act for them, that somebody is showing serious intent and that I have proof of funds Um. And they have hired somebody. Yeah. So, you know, you Why often... Not? Yeah, and I put myself in the shoes of the estate agent as well. You know, when you're dealing with different clients bidding on properties as well, there are big issues there as well, securing, you know, the, the loan approval from the bank, sourcing funds. But when you come on the scene, they know, yes, we have a genuine interest here from somebody. That's that's a powerful oh, a yeah. powerful sell, a selling point, a USP, isn't it? Well, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Look, most of my clients have already have, have either, number one, been burnt in the bidding process and they're uncomfortable with it and they don't understand it because the bidding process in Ireland is actually a shocking experience, you know, particularly if you have numerous bidders and underbidders. Yeah. Right. It's very tricky. And uh, look, it's not a pleasant process and it is a process of elimination. Right. And my job is to eliminate the underbidder within my client's budget if I can. Right. And unfortunately for the underbidders, I come in a little bit like a Rottweiler, even though they don't know who I am. And my job is to upset the apple cart. And fingers crossed, that's what I do. Mm. So they will hire me because they've already been they've already been burnt in the bidding process at some point and don't know how to negotiate it. And number two, they're very busy professionals and very busy professionals will buy time. They'll say, we don't ha- we don't have the time to do this. We're in the market. We have approval in principle or we have cash. We don't have time, however, to go through this process. You go get it. And, uh, and based on any client's budget, aspirations, location and criteria, I will tell them whether I believe what they want to purchase is achievable or not. Mm. Sounds and really good. We've got to change the goalposts. Yeah, and 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 that I I've seen you, uh, you know, writing about that as well. And and you're so right. You don't ever get perfection. Sometimes you don't just get yeah. the spot you want to go to. You might have to go up the road a little bit or down the road. That's life, isn't it? That's life. It's amazing <laughs> what a little movement or a little trajectory of one or two kilometres will do. Big, big differences, right? Yeah. Look, it's fantastic to catch up with you today. Congratulations again on your qualification. You are a, a resilient woman for sure. And you're back with LizOkane.ie. Check her out, folks. It's lovely to catch up with you. We won't leave it as long again, I promise.
you're you're a gentleman, Grandad Jerry, and congratulations <laughs> to you too. <laughs> oh, you're on the ball yourself. You know what's happening. I am. Good on you. Good on you. Thank you for the kind wishes. And listen, take care of yourself. Best of luck with the new venture. Many thanks indeed. Thank you Not for having me. Not at all. Me. Take bye. care. Bye-bye. That's the wonderful Liz O'Kane there, of course, from the North East. What a story she is and uh, continues to be, and we wish her well. Late launch LMFM Radio. We see the trucks heading out to Ukraine with all the wonderful donations received in this country and uh, guys driving the trucks and girls giving their time for free. Trucks play a huge part in life in this country. We are an island nation. They travel up and down the country. They go into the UK, across Europe. They bring goods here. They take goods out that we sell. So there's such an important link for this country economically and in life terms. Now, my next guest on the show contacted me on social media and said, I wouldn't mind having a chat with you someday on the show, Jerry, about truck drivers. And I'm delighted to say hello today to Kieran Fleming. Hello, Kieran. Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. You are a truck driver. Yeah, um, I suppose, Jerry, I'm late onto the scene. I, uh, I'm driving for the last two years for Versatile Group in uh, Beachmount Navan. And it's a rigid truck. I just drive up and down the country. But um, look, I suppose the gist of what I wanted to get talking to you about was the shortage of long haulage drivers came, became an issue all through COVID and all of that, and it carried on, and the shortage of numbers. And I, one thing and another, look, I, uh, the other thing I'd like to say is that I'm a, I'm a recovery from uh, three knee replacements, and one of them was a septic knee, and it went a little wrong and all of that. But um, I got driving on the road, and basically... To ease my problems on a daily basis, I just find it very easy to take a little push bike in the back of the truck with me. And when I take my lunch break or whatever, I just go for a five-minute cycle, and I, I find it makes all the difference to mentally how I feel and all of that. So as I was pulled in in different areas around the country for lunch, you'd be continuously looking at uh, haulage drivers pulled over. The next thing, they'd be doing the same as me eating the lunch, but Lo and behold, now I've done it myself. Next thing, like the Sunday lunch, you know yourself, Jerry. Yep. The first thing you want to do after that lump of beef is fall asleep and rest up. And as recent as this morning, I've just heard that even working from home now on Radio 1, not to uh, outdo you, uh, was just saying that um, working from home now, an issue is starting to be that uh, people working from home now are going for little naps in the afternoon. But that's nature of the beast if you're after eating like you know so yes so what you're really getting at is this and this is the kernel of this and the reason you have your bike is that you're aware that truck drivers look it's an unhealthy occupation you know this i'm not saying anything wrong here because yeah, truck drivers yeah. uh, uh, you know up and down the country as i mentioned but continental truck drivers as well they drive on sociable hours uh, uh, they eat it's uh, and i i don't want to step out of turn here but their, their diet wouldn't be the best either so it all points to an unhealthy lifestyle, doesn't it? Of course, Jerry. And like I always say, like it's a sedentary lifestyle. That's yeah. what we want to describe it as. And no more than uh, pilots from Dublin Airport or wherever, they have a sedentary lifestyle. And what's been highlighted ever since the COVID is the, the need for people at home to get, if they're working from home, to get out and do exercise. So I just started thinking the same, why not 
wherever lorry drivers are pulled up or resting, why can they not partake in a little bit of exercise at their own speed or at their own initiative and at mm. their own want? Um, there's stunning statistics coming in from Europe. Australia would have done great research on what I'm about to say, and uh, a lady called Anne Drummond, Professor Anne Drummond from UCD, like she has given me permission to release all of her works today, and she she reckons I'm fighting a bit of an uphill battle in what I'm about to say, but I, I think someone needs to get it out there, and uh, if I uh, if nothing becomes of it, nothing becomes of it, but it won't be for the want to try and. Yeah, that, that I think people need to be aware. The staggering statistic that I have is that the life expectancy of haulage drivers would be substantially lower than that of uh, the male counterparts in Ireland, Europe, and indeed the world. And I have the figure, the average life expectancy is 65 uh, for a haulage driver, with the average being 82. Now, that's a long way short. And you believe it's down to sedentary lifestyle, uh, uh, poor eating, the long hours, lack of uh, break time, etc. So what you're calling for really is, you would like to see, you know, we know, and, and just to mention this, the European tachograph uh, rules on break times, we want to say, are there anyway. And, yeah. and they're applied. But you want to see now a move to... Um, introduce exercise and better health and better care for drivers? Oh, look, it's... uh, From anyone I've ever said it, I've gone to all my ex-employers. Like, I've studied IOSH there in uh, the last few years, and I've taken on board and taken it further. But of all the occupations, let's say, in in any country, uh, haulage drivers have the toughest time of them all. And it's, look, there was other issues that came to the fore during COVID as well, when hauliers were caught out in Dover and over in Calais and all of that. So some of those issues were to be addressed by EU regulations. Mm. And EU regulations have, basically, if you look up EU OSH, Jerry, anytime yourself, you'll find that the main guidelines are set out there and it's up to each individual country to take it on board. Now, what I say is that Ireland is an ideal position. We have eight of the ten top uh, pharmaceutical and drug companies in this country. We've got Amazon, we've got Google, we've got LinkedIn. We're the the tip of the, we're the the core of all of what's happening, especially uh, since Brexit. I see Ireland as the country where they should be setting the standard bearer and bear in mind, Jerry, if you're a keen fisherman, if you look up any figures that Ireland statistically is the fittest country in the world. Yes. If you take it in mind that of all the countries that you could possibly be in the world, they partake in the most sport. Yes. So it's a simple enough motto, but the whole thing about Truck drivers don't necessarily end up, no more than myself. I went from 16 and a half stone up to 19 and a half stone. And I just said to myself uh, one day with my wife, I said, if I don't cop on, I won't be around any longer than yeah. that statistic that I'm... So mm. I just started to put things in place and to uh, be very conscious of 
where I'm at, like, you know. Yes, yeah, so you're conscious now of what you're eating, doing your exercise with the bike. You've made your own provision. Is it up to drivers themselves to embrace it like you have? Or what What, what are you calling for? Who are you calling okay. on to make uh, the difference? Well, the main one would have to be the RSA. And you are exactly right, Jerry. We're all, all... Uh, in control of our own lifestyle and our own destiny, let's say. But to a certain degree, if you take that further, now I'm not, I don't want to be quoted here left, right and centre on this, but I would be well aware of situations where haulage drivers have to make a delivery or a collection, let's say, late at night, and they might go into, oh, I just say very large uh, retail parks or what have you. And Basically, for insurance reasons and what have you, that they might not be, they may not be allowed out of the truck. Okay. Yep. Even to to go for a little walk around the, the other yard or whatever. So my the provision that I would like to provide is, and I've put it to the RSA through uh, politicians that um, the introduction, uh, the provision of outdoor exercise at places of work and at rest places, like your Apple Greens, your Circle Ks, what have you. Yep. Exactly where they are parked up. Because another thing that a lot of people are not aware of is when haulier drivers are in their trucks, if they have their own mobile bike to, let's say, take out and go for a cycle, or if they go too far away from that particular lorry, that can be tagged up as the, they have now left the lorry unprotected. Yes. And the contents of which within, like, you know. So, yeah. so there's an issue my, there. My provision would leave it that there the, the, could be a few exercises. It's the simple. I've, the Professor Damien McCormick, who carried out the surgery on me, has come back with the recommendations along with other ergonomics uh, specialists from HSA and what have you. And uh, all they're saying is the same. The, the, the basic cycle equipment, the one for the overhead uh, cycle arm and uh, the one with the, the cross strider. They are the three principal ones. And it's all about minimum exercise to your own uh, your own need or requirement, yes, like, yes. you know, your own pace. Yeah, I have to say it's something well worth highlighting and I thank you for doing it and I hope uh, you make progress with the RSA. You have support from research and what about other drivers? Uh, well, what are you hearing from them? Are they keen? You're, you're representing a voice, you're a voice here today. Are they uh, aware of this and they want change as well in a general sense? See, this is the thing now. Uh, you, the reason, Jerry, I'm coming into you now today because you're going to. Uh, I'm. I'm hoping that the women of that are married to these or partners of these drivers are going to take a little on this because us men are very slow to take change on board. Yes. And I would love to hear the kind of a, uh, the representation coming back through LMFM to see what kind of a, a feel for this is. But the research that has been done, like. Uh, I'm not on my own in so far. I'm I'm highlighting it probably yes. because I have done the other side of things. I've worked very long hours on the ground with uh, manual works and what have you, and probably too many hours on my feet and burnt out my joints and what have you. But um, the what I'd see, like to see coming out of it is the strength of the drivers to say, yeah, okay. Why can't we have that? Why can't we just have a little bit of... And it's, it can all be fitted in with the tachograph 
yes. uh, timings that are there already. Yes. Like if, you, if you have a lunch, there's no reason why you can't just get down off the truck for yeah. five minutes. And- yeah, yeah. I see that. I actually see that, that that can uh, segue perfectly in with those rules and regulations that are yeah. there. Kieran, I have to leave it there for today. I thank you for highlighting Sorry, it. One final point. I would like to just say that, um, you know, back in the day we had uh, the smoking shelters outside all the buildings and what have you. If you just think about it um, ergonomically as a country going forward, if over time that we could replace OK, the smoking shelters are still probably required and needed in certain... But just to have a more foresight into... If people could now come out of a building and have, and have the chance to do a little bit of exercise rather than always wanting to have... Even if when I was trying to give up smoking myself, I know that the one thing i do would be just to get up on a bicycle and go for a little yeah, cycle just yeah. to kill that little momentum. Yeah, okay? I hear what you're saying. We all hear what you're saying. And thank you again for highlighting uh, an issue for truck drivers in this country and the long distance guys and girls as well. Thank you for joining me on the show, Kieran. No bother, Jerry. Take thank care you. yourself. Bye-bye, Kieran Fleming. Highlighting it, uh, an important issue there, serious issue, uh, because it is sedentary. You get into a, an eating pattern and there is no exercise. And you heard there that man put on the stones himself and his aggravated uh, injuries with uh, being stuck in that position in the cab of a truck for uh, long times. And I'm sure there are people listening today driving and relatives, as he said, of drivers who it's uh, rung a bell with. And let's hope there's progress on that front sooner rather than later. I'm coming back to your comments after the break, subsequent and uh, we're going to have a song as well uh, of subsequent to my interview earlier on with Brian Nolan. Lady Gaga and Bad Romance on Your Late Lunch this Wednesday afternoon. My, we're inundated with comment uh, following on from my conversation with Brian Nolan, top of the show, about his 94-year-old friend who was in an acute hospital in Dublin and absolutely neglected. Here's the flavour of some of your views today to us on Late Lunch. You are not alone, Brian. My beloved late mother, who was as independent as you described, she was 94 too, had to listen to a doctor in A&E discussing by her bedside with us, her family, did we want her resuscitated? Did we want a post-mortem? What undertaker did we want? They couldn't even tell us what was wrong with her. She died four hours later. Her hearing was perfect. Shame on them. Another one says, I 100% agree about the care in the hospitals. My dad was in hospital for two weeks until he died recently. We were allowed to stay 24 hours a day minding him as he needed this care. I don't agree that nurses are overworked. I've seen so many problems with my dad and other patients that were caused by nursing not knowing what needs to be done or ignoring simple needs. It's absolutely wrong. More needs to be done checking on patients to see how they are, what they need. I couldn't concur more with Brian and his story. My dad died earlier than expected due to lack of care as we weren't allowed in, unfortunately, because COVID hit our family. When we were allowed to return, he was not the man that we'd seen previously. Nurses need to be checked on more by their supervisors because we were told misinformation uh, about the treatment he actually wasn't getting. For the elderly, if no one is there to speak up for them, they will be ignored, Jerry, says a listener. 
Another one. What Brian is saying is so sad, but 100% right. I have seen too much in the past two years. The treatment of elderly is frightening. I hope now that Brian has highlighted it, uh, that this will be looked at and put to an end. No visitors, less care done for our loved ones. That comes in from an RD listener. Jerry, I agree, says another comment. With everything that your guest has said about older people in hospital. I myself was in their local hospital recently. I'm an older person and I never felt so isolated. But yet there were plenty of people around. There doesn't seem to be any one person looking out for older people. It's a downright shame, Jerry. They go on and on. Another listener phoned in to congratulate Brian and Jerry for highlighting what is going on behind the scenes. The neglect of our loved one was shocking in hospital. She can relate to everything Brian said. And a family member should be allowed in to stay with their loved one to give them drinks and be there for them. Something has to be done immediately to give these people support. And so on the comments go. It's out there now. It's highlighted. Let's hope it's actioned. It has to be actioned. This neglect is unacceptable. More of your comments subsequent to my conversation with Brian Nolan, top of the show, about the neglect of his friend in hospital. And Brian works within the system, I have to say himself. Michael and Inneskeen cried listening to Brian. It's disgusting what happened to Brian's friend and shameful how our elderly population are treated. I'm angry at what I heard. Thank you, Brian, for highlighting. Larry experienced the very same as Brian with his sister-in-law in a nursing home. Mary Andrade said her dad was uh, in a private nursing home three years ago and the neglect still stays with us, Jerry. Uh, and it was dreadful. And thank you again to you and Brian for highlighting. Uh, Alexandra was on to say she was a sister nurse for 40 years and she herself was in a hospital lately with a bleed. She had no food for three days. The care was shocking. Her gold chain went missing and was never found. And she just couldn't understand as someone who was a sister that there didn't seem to be uh, somebody in charge of the nursing staff to teach them and train them properly. She wonders, are they capable of it anymore? Thank you indeed. And there's more there. I could keep reading them all afternoon. Thank you for getting in touch on the show. It's an issue that must be addressed. I move on. My soundtrack this week is from The Commitments and the song today was first recorded way back in December 1932 by the Ray Noble Orchestra with Val Rossing on vocals. It then appeared years later on Frank Sinatra's debut album called The Voice of Frank Sinatra. That was in 1946. And a new version, a new version, (laughs) 1966, what am I talking about? It was a new version back then, was recorded by soul artist Otis Redding. Otis Redding, what a soul man. 1966. And he was backed on this one by Booker T and the MGs, another famous band. And this became the definitive version of the song. And it got a new lease of life in 1991 when it popped up in The Commitments. Oh, she may be weary And young girls, they do get weary Wearing that same old shaggy dress 
I never realised. 1932, that song goes back to. Amazing, isn't it? Otis Redding with the definitive version and a shot in the arm from the Commitments and Andrew Strong there for sure. More about Commitments tomorrow on Late Lunch Roundabout this time. Final break of the afternoon on the way and Drogheda Classical is back with a big concert this coming weekend. Gavin Ring, who lives up in beautiful Carlingford, is one of the stars of the show and he's with me next. Trotted Classical Music Series of Concerts Spring 22 continues this Friday, the 25th of March at half past seven in the beautiful St. Peter's Church of Ireland in Drogheda. Four hands, four voices for your 20 euro and one of those will be the brilliant voice of tenor Gavin Ring. Good afternoon, Gavin. How are you, Jerry? Great to talk to you. And you too. You're out of the this neck of the woods. Where are you at the minute? London at the moment, Jerry. I'm just after finishing up working with English National Opera, and actually, I'm at Gatwick Airport as we speak, speeding home for this fantastic concert on Friday night at St Peter's in Drogheda. And uh, you're one of four, as I mentioned. What will you be delivering for us yourself, Gavin, on Friday? Well, it's a fantastic program, uh, Jerry. Some of the greats are going to be featured. We've got Brahms, we've got Schubert. Um, as you said yourself, four hands, four voices. Uh, a very, I suppose, unique uh, setup or a unique format for uh, a song recital. It's not often you get to hear singers uh, in ensembles together in these kinds of um, uh, settings. Uh, so uh, a, a real treat in store for anybody who's there, Jerry. Um, so, I mean, really, really beautiful pieces. As we know, like Schubert and Brahms, uh, themselves, they are two of the the absolute uh, uh, top head honchos when it comes to the classical music repertoire. Um, so you're going to you're you're going to be in for something very very special. And of course, then we're doing um, uh, some songs by uh, uh, Lot Lehman as well. Um, she was a composer there, uh, quite prolific at the beginning of the 20th century, and uh, we'll be doing her nonsense songs, which are taken from texts by the great Lewis Carroll, who your uh, listeners will probably recognise as uh, being the author of uh, Alice in Wonderland. So they're uh, they're good fun, and um, and uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's going to be a real cracker, Jerry. And you know, you look at the mix of voices. Uh, names we're familiar with: Sharon Carthy, mezzo soprano there, soprano Rachel Croce, yourself, Rory. Musgrave baritone so a lovely blend Gavin Absolutely you know I mean the best of Irish talent really is going to be on on display as always at the Drogheda Classical Music Series uh, on Friday night and uh, you know uh, we're singers now that have uh, have had the pleasure of working together on many occasions so you know we're a well-oiled machine as they say and um, you know Please God, no! With uh, with with uh, with a bit of luck, we'll we'll pull off something really, really quite uh, uh, quite unique and quite special for the audience members there in in Drogheda on Friday night. And St Peter's, I've said it many times here, the acoustic is marvelous there. The setting is just unbelievable, and uh, hopefully, yeah, you'll have a full house there to cheer you on because you know it, it's only on its way back. Really, it's been a lean two years, Gavin. It's been tough going, all right, Jerry. We're kind of in a limbo period at the moment now because obviously, look, we're we're sort of uh, the the vaccine wall, as it, as it, as it were, is is holding up well, but we're still sort of trying to find our feet. But as you say, St Peter's is, you know, I have to say it's it's, it's possibly it's my favourite chamber music venue uh, in the country to, to to perform in because, as you say, the acoustic, the atmosphere, uh, really lends itself towards. Um, uh, really, really memorable occasions uh, as far as chamber music uh, is concerned, and you know uh, we're just uh, look, we just just can't wait to get going now and to and, and to and to give uh, um, 
uh, give our, our, our patrons a, a really uh, a really good a really good evening. Well, listen, you carry on there because you're uh, due on a flight. I know now shortly. Thank you for taking time to talk to us briefly, and wish you well on Friday and beyond, Gavin. No bother, Jerry. Thanks a million for having me and God bless. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Gavin Ring there. Uh, returning from London, he's been working over there. Great to hear as well. But that lineup of talent on Friday night uh, coming to the North East is to be applauded and enjoyed. And I say uh, again uh, to Pauline Ashwood, who's the director of Drogheda Classical. She does a fantastic job. Tickets are available. They're €20 Euro from the Drogheda Arts Centre, 0419833946. That's 0419833946. Or online, Drihid, Drihid, the Irish word, drihid.com. Uh, and you can get more information and ticket details from Drogheda Classical Music.com. St. Peter's Church of Ireland, the place to be this Friday night for sure. Now, that's almost a lot on the show for today, but I want to talk to my sidekick for a minute because she's going to take centre stage at the start of late lunch tomorrow, aren't you? Are you ready to take centre stage tomorrow, Thursday? Yes? I feel a cold coming on. <laughs> I know you're not getting out of this now. Anyway, what are we talking about tomorrow? Tell them what we're talking about tomorrow. And I'm sure everybody, hotels, aren't we? We're talking, talking about, about hotels and what people take or as souvenirs, of course, mm. from hotels and bring home with them. Yes. Have you taken something from a hotel in the past and <laughs> taken it home with you? And do you still have it? Or have you memories of uh, borrowing something from a place where you were staying? Yes, we're talking about it on late lunch tomorrow <laughs> afternoon. Shampoos, yes. soaps, towels, yes. slippers, anything. A- anything you at all. You have to let us know. Yeah, let us know. We want to hear from you tomorrow I'm on the, the show. I'm not the only one. <laughs> no, but, uh, no, you are not the only one. That is for sure. But will you hear the stash she has? I'll say no more. <laughs> I'll say no more till tomorrow on late lunch. <laughs> anyway, yes, that is coming up tomorrow. And we will be talking as well to Antoinette Britain ahead of Daffodil Day. Luba Healy's back with us. Of course, you know she's from the Ukraine. And uh, really good news about the support that Luba has uh, experienced herself and that's going out to Ukraine and the hotels and more besides. Uh, so don't forget to join us tomorrow from half one. Eddie Caffrey's on his way with the drive in a few moments time. Great music and more besides. But today on Late Lunch, we leave you in the company of Callum Scott. And where are you now? Make sure you're back here tomorrow at half one. I See you then. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cabin. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana. Guaranteed delivery, low rate APR finance and 48 hour test drive. Exclusively at Blackstone Motors. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.